Amen. Well, again, I want to welcome those of you who are guests here, both in person and online. Uh, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning and uh, delighted to have you be a part of things. What we're all about at Chatham Church is really simple, both in person and online, or wherever you are, to connect people to God and to each other. So together we can engage our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. This is our final week in this Holy Spirit series. If you're brand new, especially if you're new to faith, uh, the way that uh, the New Testament talks about it is that once we sort of put our faith in Jesus, the God the Father breathes his Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our lives, the way that Jesus talks about it, it's the best thing that God could possibly give us. But for many of us, we have no idea who the Holy Spirit is and how to cooperate, how to participate, how to be a part of what the Spirit wants to do. So we've been doing sort of a little bit of like get-to-know-you work around the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for us to be people of the Spirit, being in step with the Holy Spirit? And we're wrapping things up today. It's been such a fun series, so many great conversations. We're, we've already talked about what our next step is uh, as a church to think about what the next thing we might do in order to help us to kind of connect more deeply with the Holy Spirit. But for today, what we want to do is we want to kind of wrap up by getting oriented. Like, what's the Spirit's purpose? Why is the Spirit given to us? I think part of the reason why so many of us miss the Holy Spirit is a little bit like that family member that you don't quite understand, right? You go to the family reunion, you go to the family gathering, and you can be, they're nice and all, but you don't quite get them, right? And if you don't quite get them, you can be proximate to them and never make a connection with them. Many of us don't quite get the Holy Spirit, don't quite get what the Holy Spirit, what matters most to the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit's all about. And so we can be proximate to the Holy Spirit, but never quite get the Holy Spirit. And so my hope is, as we close things out here this morning, you can kind of begin to get your heart and your minds around, here's what the Holy Spirit's about, and here's how we might participate more faithfully in it. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's first big public debut after Jesus's sort of ascension, after Jesus leaves and sort of passes the baton to the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit's first big public debut because when someone new comes into a position of authority or power, the first things they say and do tells you a lot about what matters most to them. In 2006, the Ford Motor Company posted a $12 billion loss. You thought your finances were bad. $12 billion loss. So they fired the CEO and brought a new CEO, Alan Mulally. Alan Mulally in 2006 had uh, his first big gathering, right? his first public appearance. 4,000 employees, they know they're free falling into a crisis, things are not good. And so at the end of this first big public speech, to set the tone, here's what he does. He has his whole executive team stand up. He has them turn and face the dealers. And he says, he says to his executive team, I want you to tell the dealers you love them. And so they say, we love you. And he says, no, 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 not good enough. I want you to tell the dealers you love them. And they do. And that sets the tone that changes Ford Motor Company for the next several years. Love wasn't all you needed. You're going to need a plan. He knew he needed a plan, but he said a good plan without love was useless. And you know where he learned that? Jesus. By the time he left Ford Motor Company, it went from losing $12 billion to making $6 billion. $18 billion turnaround running the Jesus operating system. And he sets the tone at his very first public debut because the first thing someone says or does in their first public appearance, a new person in authority, new person in position of power, that shows you a lot about what matters most to that person. Today, we're going to look at what matters most to the Holy Spirit because but right before Jesus left them, Jesus dies, he's raised again to new life, and then Jesus says to them, hey, look, wait, 
Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for this gift that the Father promised, the Holy Spirit. And then that's going to propel you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so basically Jesus is passing the baton to the Holy Spirit to sort of take on the lead in the work of redemption. And so the disciples are going to wait. And then we're going to see what happens when the Spirit falls. Because when the Spirit first falls, it tells you a lot about what matters most for the Spirit. What's most up to, what the Spirit most is up to in the world. And part of why this is so important is last week we had a fantastic time of prayer here. If you weren't here, uh, we, had a, we had a prayer time where we looked at a passage where Jesus says we should ask God the Father for the Holy Spirit. And, the, the, he, and he loves to give that gift. And so we said, okay, we'll take Jesus up on that command, on that invitation. So we spent some good time praying, asking the Father for the Holy Spirit. It was so powerful. People were crying and it was so moving. Such a great experience. But here's the deal. If you don't get what really matters to the Spirit, if we don't make that deeper connection, you can have a great experience with the Holy Spirit as a one-time thing and still miss the Holy Spirit in an ongoing way. We don't want to miss the Spirit. We don't want to miss what the Spirit's up to. And so we're going to kind of sit in that first big public debut to get, a heart, get our hearts and our minds around what matters most to the Holy Spirit. How do we lock in to what the Spirit's up to? We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Again, this is just a handful of weeks after Jesus' sort of resurrection, his ascension. The disciples are hanging out in Jerusalem, praying and worshiping and waiting. Here's what happens in Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit to begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Have you ever had a season of life or a stretch where you've been sitting around waiting and you're not sure what you're waiting for? Like, maybe you finished a big project at work, and you're like, okay, that's done, what's next? And you're not quite sure what that is. Or maybe at home, maybe empty nesting was kind of like a transition period for you. You kind of weren't sure what was next. Or maybe you hit retirement. And for some of you, retirement is like the promised land. But for some of us, it's a struggle. There's a transition. We're not quite sure what's next. And then maybe it, it comes together for you, maybe in unexpected ways. The disciples are hanging out in Jerusalem, and Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit, but they don't really know what that means. Like, what, what if they miss the Holy Spirit? What if the Holy Spirit comes, and, and, and they don't know? So they're not exactly sure what they're waiting for, but then, as they're praying and worshiping, the Holy Spirit falls. And there's wind, and there's tongues, and, there's, and they're able to speak in these other languages that they didn't know previously, and, and a completely remarkable new Thing. And they spill out into the streets of Jerusalem, and there's this festival, Pentecost. And there's all these people, Jewish people from all over the Mediterranean basin, who've gathered to worship. And we're going to talk about their response here in just a minute. But first, let's note this. The Holy Spirit's first act, the big public debut, is the Holy Spirit takes center stage. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is at work in the disciples, not outside the disciples. First thing the Holy Spirit does is a work internal to them, not external to them, right? Let's think about what the different things the Holy Spirit could have done, right? The Holy Spirit could have fallen outside in the marketplace or in the streets. The Holy Spirit could have been out there and the disciples kind of run out there and chase after and say, well, look, the Holy Spirit's at work. Let's talk. Or the Holy Spirit could have told them to go do something. The Holy Spirit could have given like a voice, like James Earl Jones' voice from heaven, right? Like booming voice saying, go, Go over here. Go, go on mission. Go do something, right? The Spirit's direction and what the Spirit could have done could have been all external. But the first thing the Spirit does is an internal work. It gives them abilities, powers to speak in these other languages. The first work is inside them, not outside or around them. And so if we're going to take seriously what matters most to the Holy Spirit, here's the first place where we got to camp out. Typically, 
The first work of the Spirit is going to be in us, not outside of us. Typically, first work of the Holy Spirit is going to be inside us, not outside of us. Now, of course, spoiler alert, it's not going to end there, right? It's going to flow outside of them. But the first thing is going to be a work in them. And you can't race past this part, right? Because this is so important to understanding what the Spirit's priorities are. Now, the first work of the Spirit is going to be inside of us, and it usually takes the shape of one of two things, either character and spiritual formation or gifting slash equipping, right? Formation, Character, spiritual formation, and or kind of gifting and equipping. In this story, the disciples get the unexpected gift of being able to speak in other languages, right? And throughout the New Testament, it talks about how the Holy Spirit unleashes gifts, abilities to do good work in you and through you. You are given gifts in the Spirit so that the work of God, the Spirit of God, might pour through your personality into the places where God sends you, right? The, the gifts of the Spirit, the abilities of the Spirit, they are wonderful, they are beautiful. The Spirit gives gifts for you to be a part of the ministry. So the Holy Spirit animates gifts, and that's a wonderful thing, but here's the deal. One of the worst things that can happen is that your gifting outstrips your character. One of the worst things that can happen is you're so tremendously gifted that you don't have the character to hold it up. And so one of the things the Holy Spirit does with the disciples throughout the book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament is the Holy Spirit continually, continually hammers away at character formation, spiritual formation, because one of the worst things that can happen is that your giftedness and abilities kind of outpace your formation. This happens to pastors all the time. Right? Every, single, every time you see a pastor headline, some creepy guy did something terrible or stole money or whatever, what happened was their gifting outpaced their formation to carry that gifting, to execute it, to handle it, to steward it faithfully. It's not just pastors who make that mistake. All kinds of gifted people, men and women in all kinds of industries, have all kinds of gifts and abilities. Many of them, Christians, given by God to do good work, and they fail. They do slightly horrible things to tremendously horrible things because their formation, their character, their spiritual formation wasn't strong enough to carry the tremendous gifts that they were given. So the Holy Spirit falls and the tremendous thing that happens is this spectacular gifting, right? That's like able to speak in other languages. And, but if you keep reading the rest of Acts, what you see happen is they continue to get shaped, right? All throughout the book of Acts so, so that they become men and women after God's own heart. The slow and steady work of character formation. And let's be honest, character formation, not as fun as gifting, right? Not as like crazy spectacular as miracles, right? Acts, a, a refrain throughout Acts is signs and wonders. Signs and wonders, signs and wonders. You're like, yes, I want that. How much, how about some character formation? Because here's what happened. Here's how character formation happens, right? You know this, but let's just name this. Here's how character formation happens. It usually happens in one of three ways. Stretching, correcting, and disappointment. Stretching, correcting, disappointment. That's how the Holy Spirit shapes us, right? Stretching, try new things, do a new thing. Meet a new mentor. Expand your understanding of Scripture. Expand your understanding of Jesus. Uh, try to take on a trip. Step into a new, a new ministry role. Stretching, right? Something that stretches you and stretches you outside of your comfort zone, right? Pushes you in a new kind of a way. Stretching is one of the ways that our character gets formed. Correction. Never happened to any of you, I'm sure. But this idea that there's things in us that shouldn't be there that need to be plucked out. Jesus talks about pruning, right? The things that need to be pruned out of us. This idea that there's things in us that need to be corrected, redirected. And then there's disappointment and how you process disappointment. Now, I want to be clear. Not every disappointment is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you're disappointed because someone sinned against you badly. But part of how the Holy Spirit redeems our disappointment is by using it to form our character. 
Part of how the Holy Spirit works by God's grace is there's nothing that happens that's so bad against you that God can't use it for you. Nothing that happens so bad against you that God can't use it for you to shape your character in a positive, constructive sort of a way. Stretching, correcting, disappointment. You ever experienced those things before? Have you seen how the Lord has sort of teased out of you gifts, invited you into character formation? There's been some testing, there's been some stretching, there's been some challenges. See, listen, the Spirit goes to work in us. The Spirit goes to work in us because the Spirit wants to make you a, a participant in the world God designed the way that God designed it. Here's how God, the way that God designed the world. He makes human beings in his image so that something of God's character might be poured through you with every time you interact with anything. Every email you send, every phone call, every project around the house, every project at work, every conversation with a spouse or friend, every time you get behind the wheel of a car, Something of God's character is supposed to be poured through you into a weary world to make it more beautiful, to make it more whole and holy. You are made in God's image to demonstrate his image wherever he sends you. The spirit goes to work in us to make us fully restored image bearers over the course of time. And so my friends, as we talk about the spirit's work in us being priority, can you be more open Maybe here right now you're feeling stretched, corrected, or disappointed. And there's ways that can build up resentment, right? Frustration, resistance in us. Can you shift your posture to saying, Holy Spirit, do a work in me. I'm open to it. Can you collaborate and cooperate with the Spirit's work in you as you experience stretching, correcting, or disappointment to allow that formation to happen the way that Jesus and the Spirit intend for it to? The Holy Spirit falls on Jesus' followers. These disciples, 120 of them, gather together, and they spill out into the streets. Pentecost is, the, is, is happening, this big Jewish celebration. And there's, there's Jews from all over the area. The Jews have been scattered out of Israel, out of Jerusalem. They're at all these, other, and all these other nations for a generation or two, some of them. But they are gathered in Jerusalem for this festival. And here's what happens as the disciples spill out into the streets of Jerusalem. Verse 5, now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this all mean? When someone new steps into a position of authority, the first thing they do or say tells you a lot about what matters most to them. So when the Holy Spirit falls, the first thing that happens is a work inside the disciples, but the whole point is to empower the disciples to declare the wonders of God in ways people can understand. The whole point of the Holy Spirit falling is to empower the disciples to live out and articulate and embody the wonders of God in ways that the people can start to understand. That's the priority of the Holy Spirit. That's what matters most to the Holy Spirit, to empower us to live out lives that look a lot like Jesus and point to Jesus. Now, this is important because it didn't have to go down this way. Most of the people in the crowd probably spoke Aramaic. In fact, Peter's going to give a nice long sermon in a little bit. It's probably in Aramaic, and everyone understood Aramaic. But to kickstart this whole thing off, 
There are people who maybe grew up in other nations that have learned other languages as well. And so to kick this whole thing off, the church is going to speak the wonders of God in language that everyone can understand in ways that meet them right where they are. My friends, here's the good news. The church is not going to demand people come to us. We're going to go to them. The church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, does not demand you come to us and figure things out. The church, looking a lot like Jesus, who was incarnational, God put on flesh. The church empowered by the Holy Spirit, speaks God's wonders in ways that meet people right where they are. I was in a setting with a bunch of ministry folks many years ago, and uh, someone pointed out some of the, one of the differences between Christianity and just kind of other major world religions. And this person pointed out that there's no official language in Christianity. Right? The Quran is written in, 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 uh, in Arabic, and that's the, way, that's the prayer language of Islam. You pray in Arabic. That's how that works. And, of course, Judaism, it's all written in Hebrew and Aramaic. And so, of course, the official language of Judaism is, is Hebrew. But Christianity has no official, no official language. The New Testament's written in Greek, but it's pretty, like, clunky Greek. I had a, I had a professor called it truck driver Greek. It's kind of clunky Greek. It's not the most elegant Greek. It's, kinda, it, it's, it's, it's just functional, right? Just communicating. Here at the very start, right here in this passage, we're going to see that the, the, new, the, the, the biblical message, the Jesus message, is going to go to the ends of the earth. And it's going to start by speaking the language to the ends of the earth. And so let's bring this together. As we talk about sort of the, the Spirit's work, it's, it's going to be this. The Holy Spirit works in us to do a work through us, to declare the wonders of God in ways that other people can understand. See, the work of the Holy Spirit is to prepare us to be people of grace, for the people around us. We are to be a, a purveyor, a, a, a conduit of the Holy Spirit, not a cul-de-sac of the Holy Spirit. We are not merely collecting spiritual experiences. We are people who receive the Holy Spirit in order to participate in the Holy Spirit's work all around us, to be beauty makers, to be courageous people, faithful people, who are demonstrating God's grace, God's character, God's love, any opportunity we can. We live out the power of the Spirit in ways that people around us can at least start to understand. But even as the crowd gathers, and some are amazed, there are a few hecklers in the crowd. There's always a few hecklers, right? Always a few hecklers in the crowd. And they, have, they are given one of the most uh, compelling lines in the whole Bible, right? So these people are there, they're speaking all these languages, and in the, in one, of the, one of my most favorite lines in the whole Bible, the hecklers say this. As people are amazed, the hecklers say, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine, they're just drunk. That's the critique. Now, we've said this before in the series, but it's, it's worth repeating. The fields of biology, psychology, genetics, sociology are all wonderful, and they answer a lot of questions. They've given us a lot that we can learn from. They're fantastic. However, they do not answer the most important questions in life. Biology, psychology, genetics, sociology, they do not answer the most important questions in life. And so those fields, whether the people in them or not recognize it, those fields are sub subfields of the larger spiritual life in the larger spiritual world. But because people don't believe in the spiritual world, because there's so much sort of against it, there will always be people who try to shoehorn rationalistic, atheistic explanations for the work of the Holy Spirit. There will always be people who try to shoehorn 
explanations for the genuine work of the Holy Spirit that tries to dismiss and discount the Holy Spirit. My friends, some of you don't have a cynical bone in your body. I'm so grateful for you. We love you. I'm not talking to you for the next two minutes, okay? Just hang out for a minute. Blessings on you. The other 92% of us, we live in an era that where it is easier to be cynical about spiritual things than ever before. There's so many cynical voices, and some of us absorb those voices. Some of us have those inside of us. We can't help it. We're skeptical by nature. We're a little bit cynical by nature. And here's all I want to do to start with, okay? Here's what I want to do. I want those of you who battle with cynicism to come back to this verse often. This is your life verse, okay? You didn't know it. This is your life verse. They've just had too much wine. The cynical, dismissive voice that has discounted the work of the Holy Spirit from day one. The same voice is alive and well today. Dismissing and discounting the work of the Holy Spirit. If you are a cynic or battle cynicism, all I want you to do is I want you to look at this verse. They've had too much wine. I want you to hear. You know what that voice sounds like. It's in our culture. It's in your own head. I want you to hear that voice, and I'm going to ask you a question that we're going to come back to and answer in just a minute. Who was actually on the right side of history? The believers or the cynics? Who's actually on the right side of history? Were they just drunk? Or was actually got up to something here? The apostles had this tremendous experience. The Holy Spirit pours on them. All these Jews there, and they're in town for the festival. A group of people who are amazed and excited, and some are a little bit cynical and asking questions. Now, let me ask you something. If they stop right here at the end of the people saying they're just drunk, if they stop right here, and no one explains what's happening, no one stands up to articulate what's actually happening, do you know what I think happens? Nothing. I think we have a failure to launch situation. The disciples are acting in step with the Holy Spirit. They're completely cooperating with the Holy Spirit. They're acting faithfully, but here's what I want you to hear. Actions are not self-interpreting. Actions are not self-interpreting. Actions are not self-interpreting. Someone needs to explain to the crowd what it is they're seeing and experiencing. And so that's exactly what happens next. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain something to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Another great line in the New Testament. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. A friend of mine told a story about a, a guy who was a Christian at, at a secular workplace, and he decided he was going to love his coworkers with God's love as best he possibly could. There's a guy in a cube next to him going through a divorce, and he's like, I'm just going to pour into this guy for weeks on end. He took care of him, listened to him, took him out to lunch, just really loved on him so well. And, uh, and this, this, this co-worker was so moved. And at one point, after a few weeks of this, he says to the Christian, he says, you've been so great to me. Thank you so, so much. I just have to ask you a question. And the guy's like, here comes my, my opportunity to declare Christ's love and all that kind of thing. And his friend asks him, are you a vegetarian? The guy knew some nice vegetarians once. He had no idea it was Jesus that was motivating him at all. Because the actions aren't self-interpreting. Because he didn't put words around it. He never at any point said, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm a Jesus person. Can I pray for you now? Never at any point did he put words around what he was doing. Actions are not self-interpreting. My friends, when, you do, when people act and we don't know why they're acting, we just fill in with all kinds of things, right? We just make guesses based on our previous experiences. This guy knew some nice vegetarians. Have you, do you see people misinterpreting Christians' actions? 
Now, sometimes it's because Christians are stupid. And we need to apologize, not try to explain. But sometimes we're acting in good faith and we're not putting any words around it. And so no one knows why we're doing it. No one understands it. So those of us who are Christians, we need to first act faithfully, right? Love people around you the way that Jesus does. And then secondly, find ways to put words around it. Articulate what's behind it. What are you doing and why? Hey, I'm a Jesus person. I'm praying for you. Can I pray for you now? Do you have any kind of faith background? Would you be interested in hearing more? Can I invite you to church? Just come and see. Actions are not self-interpreting. Someone has to explain what's going on, why we're doing what we're doing. So Peter, as the crowd gathers and there's this great thing happening, Peter does exactly that. He stands up, right, with the 11 and starts to give an explanation. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to DVR all of history for the last 2,000 years and I want you to rewind to this moment. Forget everything you know about the last 2,000 years. Go to this moment right here, right now with Peter. You're in the crowd, Peter's up there, and here's, if you look around you, if you do a 360 view, if you do a Google map view of the world around you, you know what you see? Rome rules everything. Rome, baddest empire the world had seen in many, many millennia. They are, they're creating new worlds to overrun and conquer. They are a military machine and a massive government. Meanwhile, Peter, his little crew, they're uneducated, ordinary people. They just lost Jesus, like the charismatic leader that gathered all the people. When a charismatic leader dies, is killed, 99% of movements disappear, especially if they're young and early in a new stage. So my friends, all that's left is 120 uneducated people, no power, no money, no resources. If you had to make a bet, who would still be standing 2,000 years later? The might of Rome or this crazy little group of splinter Jew Jewish Christians, people called Christians, you would have bet the house, the farm, and the local aqueduct on Rome. And you would have been wrong. 2,000 years later, Rome's gone. Church of Jesus Christ rolls on and on and on and on and on and on. And today, today, my friends, Almost every nation, almost every tribe, almost every language, all over the globe, there are people gathering, singing the praises of Jesus, whom these people didn't even know existed. Because, my friends, the Holy Spirit is the power of God, the dynamite of God. And so I want to come back to my cynics. Who was on the right side of history? Were they drunk or was it the Holy Spirit that launched something that was unbelievably, impossibly imagined to believe what just happened? My friends, here's the deal. I want you to come back as you battle cynicism to the line, they've had too much wine. And I want you to hear that the cynic was wrong. The cynic was wrong. The cynics were wrong. The Holy Spirit was at work. And I want you to fight, fight, fight all you can against the cynical voice. It is corrosive. It's destructive. It cannot build anything beautiful or moving or strong or courageous. It can only deconstruct. It cannot construct anything that's worth living for. I want you to fight against that cynical voice. I'm going to fight against it too. And I want you to lock in with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit unleashes the power, the purposes, and the beauty and the wonder of God in ways that you can't begin to imagine what he might want to do in you. And through you. Peter stands up in the face of Rome and hecklers and all that said against him to launch this crazy thing that he has no idea how much is going to change the world. 
and he gives this beautiful long sermon. He quotes all kinds of Old Testament prophets because remember, these were all Jews. They all know the Old Testament prophets and he sort of cites them and tells them, hey, this is Jesus. He's the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament. And he closes with these crazy words uh, that, that, uh, that, that wrap up the sermon. He says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, now pause here. Remember this. This was not ancient history for these people. This happened about 50 days earlier. 50 days ago. You know what 50 days ago was for us? That was one of those snowed out, iced out Sundays. Remember that in January? 50 days ago, right there in that town, a great crowd has sent Jesus to his death. Maybe some of the people in that crowd had been in that crowd 50 days ago, sending Jesus to his death. And Peter says, remember that Jesus guy 50 days ago you had him killed? I got news for you. God raised him from the dead. Now, if you're going to invent a religion, and that's what people say. People say, Peter invented the religion. If you're going to invent a religion, this is a stupid way to do it. Stupid. First, no one's going to believe this. No one, no one, no one. No one's ever said Muhammad rose from the dead. No one said Buddha rose from the dead. No one's ever made this claim. It's a ridiculous claim. There's a reason why no one does it. It doesn't work. And secondly, all you have to do is produce a dead body. Tomb's not that far away. You can walk to it from where Peter's standing. It's a terrible, stupid way to invent a religion, unless it's true. Unless God really did raise Jesus from the dead. Unless that's actually the power of God, unleashed to forgive us our sins, reconcile us to God, and bring us all home. And maybe the Holy Spirit is actually taking this good news, and probably amazingly, and rolling back the curse, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found, to bring redemption and renewal to all the nations. When the people heard about this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter, the other, the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 people were added to their number that day, and there is a long, squiggly line from that day to us right here, 6,000 miles away from Jerusalem, worshiping Jesus as the church is off and running. First public debut of the Holy Spirit does a work in the disciples to do a work through the disciples, to launch a church movement. It's gonna change the world. There's amazing gifting, unique gifting, and then a long, slow character formation through the disciples as they are stretched, as they are corrected, as they, as they face disappointments and hardship and imprisonments and all the challenges that they face, the Holy Spirit shaping in them character that has the strength to carry the weight of the church as it gets off the ground. My friends, what I want to invite you to do is to be available and open to what matters most to the Holy Spirit so the Spirit might do a work in you in order to do a work through you in whatever way that might look. And so today as we close, here's a wildly important take home as we close out this series. Number one, I want to invite you to keep asking for the Spirit. Keep asking for the Holy Spirit. We did this last week. We just, can't, we just Jesus said, hey, ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. So we just asked. I want to invite you to keep asking for the Holy Spirit, like daily, weekly. I don't know, Father, I need a fresh filling of the Spirit for this day's work. If this is a regular refrain for you, then the, the whole series has been worth it and a win for us to make asking for the Holy Spirit a regular part of your prayer life. Just make that a part of what you're doing 
and uh, how you're doing it. Secondly, I want to invite you to be open to the Holy Spirit's work in you. Character formation and equipping, right? I want you to be awake and alert to the ways that the Spirit is shaping you as a person. Throughout the scriptures, the Spirit is always sort of interested in formation, character formation, spiritual formation. Be open to that work. I want you to lean into it as you're being stretched occasionally, as you're being corrected occasionally, and even as you face disappointment, there's an opportunity to lean into the Holy Spirit. God, this stinks, but I believe the Spirit could do something in me anyway. God, this is hard. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. I'm hurt. I believe you can shape something in me, grow something new in me through this. Character formation, not nearly as spectacular as gifting. And some of you need to be asking about gifting. Holy Spirit, what gifts have you given to me? Some of you don't even know what your gifts are. You don't even know what your abilities are, what, what gifts and abilities God's given to you. So some of you just need to kind of press into, Holy Spirit, would you teach me, show me what gifts and abilities you've given to me that might be part of your kingdom coming, your will being done. Because remember, this is how this whole thing works. The gifts in you, the work in you, is to do a work through you, to declare the wonders of God to other people in ways they can understand. That might be verbally, that might be embodied and just living it out. Finding ways to articulate and live out the wonders of God in ways the people around you can at least start to understand. That's gonna look different for every single one of us, right? You're in different places, but this is true north. This is true north. This is the compass direction. If you wanna be in step with the Holy Spirit, just say, Holy Spirit, how are you doing a work in me that might be doing a work through me? This is sort of true north to keep you coming back again and again and again. Where's the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit up to? Holy Spirit's always up to a work in you to do a work through you, to declare and live out the wonders of God in some way, shape, or form. It's gonna look different for every single one of us, but my friends, questions is like, who's in your sphere of influence? Who's around you? Where has God put you already? Where, is, where, where are you positioned to make a difference in Jesus' name and someone's life around you? Can you be awake and alert to the opportunities around you because the Spirit's at work in you to do a great work through you? My friends, this has been such a great series. My prayer, my hope for each one of us is the good Father, the good, good Father who loves to pour out grace and mercy to each one of us. My prayer is that you might know the power, the presence, and the purposes of God as you, as you work to cooperate and collaborate with the beautiful, wonderful Holy Spirit, God's presence at work in you to do magnificent work through you. May he do a good work in each one of us individually and through Chatham Community Church to declare the wonders of God in ways the people around us can start to understand. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good. Your mercies endure forever. And so we pray and ask again, Father, that you might pour out the Holy Spirit on our church, pour out the Holy Spirit on each one of us individually. Lord, I pray for my friends who are here today, and some of them are going through a stretching experience or a correcting experience or a season of disappointment and heartache. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Help us to not grow bitter. Help us not grow resistant. Help us to open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to what you want to do. Lord, I pray for my friends who battle cynicism, skepticism. Would you help us to hook on to that? They've had too much wine, critique, Cyn that, that voice of the cynic that is at work in us. Lord Jesus, by your power, would you deliver us from the voice of the cynic? Deliver us from that internal cynic in our own heads. Rescue us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might actually be a part of your generative beauty-making work in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, for all of us, would we leave here today more organized, more oriented, more attentive to what the Holy Spirit's doing in us and what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen.